0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: So earlier this week, as we get on to topic number one this evening, earlier this week we learned that parts of Hamilton's Convention Center downtown Are falling apart a bit. Bricks apparently are at risk or have been falling. I don't think they've fallen yet, but they're saying they're at risk of falling, which would be a bad thing. And escalators and elevators at First Ontario Centre need to be repaired. And all of this stuff, as well as other things, are going to cost millions of dollars and more troubling. It needs to be done now, especially if bricks are about to fall out of a building. You cannot, as a city, have bricks falling and potentially landing on someone's head. That's a bad thing. So these things have to be done now. But here's the problem with this, besides the obvious. The city's budget for such repairs at the entertainment facilities that it owns is $800,000 a year. So the immediate repairs, the immediate repairs, there are other tens of millions of dollars in upgrades and things that are needed to be done, but the immediate repairs are into the millions and they have $800,000 set aside. So what do we do? Well, here to... Help me out and try and figure this out. A man who knows his way around Hamilton politics as well as anyone else, as a counselor, as a mayor, uh, his name is Larry Deanney. Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this tonight.
2: Hey, Scott, it's always a pleasure, but I don't know if I can help you figure this one out. Well, I can give you my perspective. My okay, perspective.
1: so we have pieces of city-owned facilities that are potent- uh, apparently falling down. Th- there's no question it has to be fixed, correct? We can't not do it.
2: Oh, absolutely. It has to be fixed. I mean, uh, for for um, uh, liability issues, but also for moral issues. You don't want anybody to get hurt.
1: No. But even, okay, yeah. even if we leave the moral issues, but you're absolutely correct, that would be number one. But if it costs us $4 million or whatever to fix the brick, a brick falling on someone's head when the city knows this could happen, you're going to pay more than that in a lawsuit. So, I mean, it's actually, it needs to be done and there's no way around it.
2: There is absolutely no way around it. So what do we do
1: then if we don't have the money set aside, if we don't have a flush kitty right now, because we don't, our bank account for the city of Hamilton is not overloaded, right. where do we start to find the money to do these things? How does, the, how does the council budget work where you then are sitting there around the table, where do you start looking to find these extra dollars?
2: Right. So, um, and of course, the council right now is <clears throat> launching into the budget process for this coming year. Uh, And they will be having these discussions. So there's a short-term plan and a long-term plan. And uh, staff um, is uh, ready to present options to City Council that address both the short-term and the long-term. And by short-term, I mean that there's always a triage that needs to happen where you have a budget number, and and, and let me separate, and I know people's eyes will roll, but the budget is made up of two separate um, areas. One is the operating budget, and the operating budget is that budget that people need on a daily basis to pay staff uh, to operate the city, and that's why it's called the operating budget. And that's the budget that, that impacts our tax dollars immediately. And then there's the capital budget, and the capital budget uh, is the budget that is usually debentured or mortgaged, if you will. Money is borrowed to do various projects, and from the, from the operating side, you pay your mortgage every month, you pay your debenture every month to make sure that you know it, everything works out. So staff is going to be preparing those two ledgers for council to consider. On the one side, you know, so our council is going to have some options to make around operating budgets. And on the other side, around their capital budget. And the capital budget not only addresses the short term, but there's a 10-year capital plan where you put money aside to look after exactly things like this uh, so that there's a, uh, a kitty at the end of those 10 years to replace the infrastructure that has a life cycle, that has a life expectancy Uh, that staff estimates and they will keep that going year after year however there are emergencies as well and this would be one of them Uh, and by the way part of the problem also is that not enough money is ever put aside because there's never enough money to do everything you want to do of course uh, because as well as fixing old things you want to build new things and that's part of the problem it's part of the politics of things uh, where councils love to fix new things And unless a brick is falling on somebody's head, they tend to ignore uh, the older things as well. Are you allowed
1: allowed to rob from Peter to pay Paul? Could you go into the operating budget to find money to pay into the capital budget?
2: No, no, typically not. Uh, Typically, um, I mean, there are some things that do, and it would be too complicated to try to get into that, but typically not. The operating budget essentially is to operate the city to pay your staff. Um, you know, the vast majority of our budget is to pay for people because uh, it's our people that drive all the services that we offer, right? Uh, we do buy some widgets and, and you know, uh, things like uh, equipment, computers um, and so on uh, that comes out of that budget as well. But, but typically the operating budget uh, is paying for the people who deliver the service. So um, it's, it's the capital budget that's usually, that's usually uh, robbed. So, for example... If we're putting money away to redo or repave, let's take the Red Hill Expressway as an example. Uh, but I need money in an emergency. I put money. I've socked money away. I, I can go somewhere, maybe that that particular budget line, and use it, and then replenish it down the road to also do that other work. But but here's the here's the problem, uh, Scott. And and it's not just it's not just uh, Hamilton. It's all communities right across Canada, I would say and the United States. I mean if you listen to the political talk in the. US they want to spend trillions of dollars there to redo their infrastructure, their bridges their roads and, and so on. And Hamilton uh, is certainly part of the concern around uh, infrastructure needs for the for the uh, for the city and we're part of the problem right across the country. All communities are the same way. So part of the problem is, that everything has a life cycle, and uh, and instead of socking enough money away to look after things, we keep adding to the inventory mm, that we yes got, yes, and we don't keep getting rid of stuff that we need to get rid of. we keep hanging on to maybe arenas, maybe buildings, maybe uh, uh, parks, maybe um, you know golf as always, uh, and you know the golfers are going to hate me. But, uh, you know, people ask themselves, why are we in the golf business? Why aren't we selling that and using that to fix the core business that we should be in, uh, sell one of our courses or both of our courses? And I'm not advocating this, but, but it has been discussed. Sure it ago, has, sure it has. And, and that money could then help deal with the stuff that is part of our core business and that we can do. We also, we also need to be smart. The private sector is there. You know, one of the items that's being discussed right now, again, part of our inventory, part of our infrastructure, is COPS Coliseum, or, or First Ontario Place, as it's now called. Uh, and uh, uh, Michael and Andlauer just said, look, if you build a new arena, I'll pay for half of it. I think that's what he said in the paper. Yep. Um, and, uh, and you know, what a great model. Why didn't we use that model when we rebuilt when our Stadium, uh, the, now now important field? Uh, you know, the Thai Cats um, are there. Uh, might they have been, as far as I remember, they didn't contribute very much money towards the capital project. It was the city money and it was provincial money with some federal funds as well, uh, mostly the province. But the private sector didn't. Anti anything up there why is that and why is it that we're charging a rent some would say is much too low for that facility why and when are we going to smarten up and and use not and i'm just not picking on on the ticats or that facility but that's the most glaring example there are others where we allow people to come in and use city facilities without paying much rent.
1: Well, and you touched, uh, I just want to interrupt for a second, because yeah. you touched on something a moment ago, which was that we love to build new things. We're not so yes. good at maintaining, or we don't like to maintain the ones yeah. we have. I'm wondering, and I've mentioned this before on the show, I really, I, I believe what you said is very uh, important there, because it seems to me that... At this point, we should be putting a, almost putting a moratorium on new projects unless we can absolutely establish that by building a new one, it's going to save money compared to maintaining the old one.
2: You know, I had a discussion with somebody fairly um, uh, senior uh, on City of Hamilton staff, uh, and I was told, and we're just having a chit-chat, but I was told that there are about $163 million dollars on the books right now of projects that counselors want to see built 163 million dollars that we don't have anywhere of projects that counselors want to build on top of maintaining everything that we've got so so the the point is if that's the case and i'm sure they're all good projects uh we didn't get in details as to what some may be I, i can imagine what some of them might be but if that's the case we need to then find some money uh, in, uh, in uh, other areas to fund uh, those projects. And, and by the way, let me also mention, and I'm not running for politics again so I can say this, you won't find a politician saying this, but I know because I've spoken to staff as well. We hate paying taxes uh, in, uh, in our community, in our province, in our country. We just have an abhorrence when it comes to taxes. We all always and only want to pay the least. Count me the first in line with that frame of mind. Uh, And so for the last number of years, I don't know how many, we've had 1%, 1 1.5% tax increases, when in fact inflation has always been higher. And so when we look at why the infrastructure is crumbling and why we're not putting Enough money into the kitty that it, that too is part of the problem.
1: Yeah, for um, sure. Although, I like the argument a lot of people would have is, uh, we're okay paying ta- now. I, I mean, I'm with you. Uh, I I don't love paying taxes, but I think a lot of people would say I'll pay my taxes if I happily, if I believe that the money is being well spent. The issue is, do you agree with what is being spent upon, and that's where people get cranky
2: yeah, of course. and and uh, and I heard that as well. I used to use that line, certainly when I was active politically. Uh, I always used to um, you know preach that, that you know uh, trust us, we're going to do the right thing with the money we collect, but we're not going to try to collect as much because we know that you don't like uh, you know paying more taxes each year. And I'm not advocating for higher taxes, but at the end of the day, uh, if we want to pay for some of these infrastructure needs, we've got several choices. And one of them is to close some facilities that we absolutely don't need so that we can use the money that we have towards, uh, uh, towards infrastructure that we absolutely need. And we can't be expanding the infrastructure so that uh, we're paying ever more uh, without the source of income to pay for that being figured out. And we need to, we need to stop using the credit card because that's essentially what we're doing. When we debenture, the more we, we borrow, you know, we're, we're paying from the credit card. And at some point, uh, that's going to be maxed out. And then, and then, you know, the proverbial stuff will hit the fan. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yes. all, all, of, all, all of these are factors that, um, uh, th- that that go into, you know, why we and other cities like us uh, find ourselves in the position we're in. And compound that by, by a number of factors, not the least of which is that we're an older city. Uh, and and everything has a life cycle and of course the more aged the facility is the more needs it has and if you don't do a major um, restructuring as we did with city hall by the way remember what happened there everybody left for a year they stripped it to its bones and then they rebuilt it now that probably would need to be done with many other buildings across the city but we don't do that we cannot do that we can't afford to do that City Hall is a special place, it's the seat of government and the and seat of pride for the community and so on and so forth. But all of these factors have to have to work together for us to manage uh, the infrastructure that we've got. And I cannot say enough how we have to leverage the private sector to do some stuff for us. Where it makes sense to do it, for example, the the arena that Mr. Adler wants to contribute towards.
1: Former Mayor Larry DiNee, really appreciate the time. I know you're out for the evening. I'll let you get back to your uh, to your activities, but I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for doing this. I'm
2: playing bocce.
1: Oh well, there you go. I hope you're winning.
2: <laughs> All right, take care.
1: Um, it is it is a, a I, I can't agree with him more on the issue of. And it's every politician. It's not just city politicians. Heaven knows it's not just our municipal politicians. This is not a slam on our city council. Our city council gets slammed when they deserve to get slammed. They get credit when they deserve credit. This is not a municipal thing. Politicians love cutting ribbons and having photos taken at buildings and things that have been built that they have helped to make happen. That is how you get reelected. No politician has ever been reelected because he fixed a pothole. It just doesn't happen, but the time has come, I think, and we're seeing it right now, that we need to have politicians at all levels, not just municipal again, but we're dealing with this one right now, politicians at all levels that say, you know what, we right now can't afford to build a whole lot of new, brand new, shiny, sparkly things. We're going to evaluate what we want to build as new, and if it will save us money, we'll do it, to build a new one, to replace something. And if it won't save us money, we won't do it. And certainly, certainly, one of the issues, one of the things we're talking about right now is a new arena. And I think the city, I think it's it's incumbent on the city. I'm not t- I don't know whether a new arena will save us money, but I think that investigation has to be done, that exploration has to be done. Is it possible that building a new arena... That the cost that would go into a new arena over, what's, what length of time do you want to say, 10 years? If we're paying $2 million roughly a year from the city into it, if the city put X dollars into an arena and then didn't have to do the maintenance because it was run privately, would it actually save the city money? If the answer is yes, then we should look at replacing it. If the answer is no, then we shouldn't. And we should do that with all the buildings. But now we're in a position where, as they say, you, and you've heard about this now, we have buildings that are falling down. Well, now what do you do? Because we don't have the money. Now you've got to scramble. And that's not a good way to govern. That's, and that's not this council's fault. Let's be honest with one more thing. That is not this particular council's fault. These are things that have been put off. now some of the councilors have been there for a while, but these are things that have been put off. A building does not suddenly get to the point where bricks are falling down overnight, you hope. anyway. these are things that have built up. and yet, so now this council gets to wear it and some of the councilors have been around, so they get they specifically have to wear it, but we, we got to do better. We got to do better and we got to start planning for things. What's going to save us money? So we can actually do stuff in the city because we just don't have the cash.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Hey, 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 hey. hey. Macho,
2: macho, man. macho, man,
3: yeah. I got to be a macho. Man. I got to be a macho, macho, man, yeah. <laughs>
1: i got to bring in our next guest with that kind of intro song, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. When was the last time you were brought on to a show with the theme music Macho Man? Never. (laughs) I repeat from last week, we need to do something about the playlist. You know, I think when you said that last week, you may have challenged young Ben (laughs) to dig into the most painfully awkward songs ever. I I can't even imagine what's coming next I
4: have no problem with disco I really really don't I mean in fact there's lots of
1: tracks I need to introduce (laughs) to your fair friend on the other side (laughs) of the window but that would not be one of them (coughs) oh you're making me cough yeah that's uh, I I, I don't know if you can call that one of the village people's deep cuts that was a uh, that was a big hit for them but one of those hits that thankfully just doesn't get a lot of airplay everyone does YMCA no one plays macho man and I think we could probably for the most part be thankful for that maybe weddings that's it (laughs) yeah well maybe next week when you come on we'll play in the navy (laughs) (laughs) that's a hidden track yeah, thankfully that one has also seemed to find the dustbin of history. Uh, let me read you something here about Bob O'Neill from CHCH, by the way, for those who are just uh, tuning in and trying to figure out why are they talking about the village people? Well, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, well, we're going to talk about this. A letter that Joe Morgan, Hall of Fame baseball player, and now I think a vice president or vice chairman on the Hall of Fame committee, uh, he sent this to all the voters, and this is just a segment of what he wrote. Players who played during their steroid era have become eligible for entry into the Hall of Fame. The more we Hall of Famers talk about this, and we talk about it a lot, we realize we can no longer sit silent. Many of us have come to think that silence will be considered complicity, or that fans might think we're okay if the standards of election to the Hall of are relaxed, at least relaxed enough for steroid users to enter and become members of the most sacred place in baseball we don't want fans ever to think that and he goes on and on and on urging voters to snub anyone who either tested positive was indicted in the mitchell report or had the whiff of steroids around them what do you think about this note
4: I give him a lot of credit. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion when it comes to this, and I think it becomes even more so valid when you are a former player, and then you've went through the rigors of being a player in the in in, uh, in Major League Baseball. So I think you, and he's a commentator, so he's a well-known guy over the years. Um, you know, many years uh, he was a commentator with, and, and I believe it was NBC. It was kind of the game of the week, so maybe one of the few voices you would ever hear. So I, I think it's valid, uh, but it's an opinion, and, and, and I think you can take it more for that. I think he gives good reasons. I did read his statement, uh, and he's pretty solid in what he, what he says as well, too. But I, do, do, I you,
1: do you, with you agree with him?
4: I do agree with him 100 percent, no. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's – it's, as time has gone on, Scott, I, my opinions have, have lightened somewhat uh, towards the, the steroid era. Uh, I think it was a, a period of time in baseball where, if you, I mean, I'll go as far as to say the sport was dirty.
1: Oh, sure and, it was. And, and,
4: and to say that every single player should be persecuted for what they did uh, is incorrect. At the time, it was legal. It was I mean there's an ethical thing absolutely I mean there's no doubt about that in terms of ethics uh, from what we know now but at that time what the players were doing they were doing to what they believe improve themselves
1: and improve the sport. What about the guys, though, that it seems as though, and you can take this for what it is, That seems as though almost to a man, the men who were the best players of their era were the guys who were caught with this. And you start going down the list of the people who were either in... uh, in, in, in this or like were were mentioned or caught, Alex Rodriguez, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Rafael Palmeiro, Sammy Sosa, go on and on, Mark McGuire, down and down the list. So many of the guys that you would say, these are the best players. They were the ones whose name came up. And it seems to suggest at least you could make the case that the steroid era or using something helped them and made them into a Hall of Famer.
4: And I think you can say that about particular players but I think when you stack up many of those players and I'm going to use Roger Clements and Barry Bonds as the examples and these are guys that you're in the midst of uh, possibly being named for the Hall of Fame they they've reached this period in the you know in, after uh, their careers have been complete since retirement and I, I think that they as you look at their careers as a total, there were years where I would believe that they weren't using steroids. Um, I think you can make a case for Barry Bonds when he was with Pittsburgh. He was arguably the best player in the world at the time. Roger Clements...
1: And skinny I mean, as a rail. You know... you know,
4: With a the smaller all, hat they all, size. They, they all were. They yeah. all were. I mean, I can't just... I, I refuse to just name one player. I mean, because you could say the same thing about Roger Hamm, uh, Clements. Look at his pictures when he was with Boston, and look at the size of his head when he was with New York. Yeah, Mark, <laughs> M- Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire, I, I put them all in that category. But I know that I lived in a period where I saw those guys play, where I, where I would believe they were on steroids or on something, and they, at in a time where they weren't doing anything, I would presume. So I think you have to look at the whole package, and I think that, you know, a player like Barry Bonds was Hall of Fame worthy before the San Francisco years. Um, Roger Clements, Hall of Fame worthy before the years there, uh, uh, that he went to um, New York
1: and Houston. So, I mean, it's tough. It's it's you know what that's the great answer because it is, this is so tough and I'll tell you why it's even tougher because I tend to be a black and white voter on I'm not a voter but if I was I'm black and white on this one my, I feel if you were taking the stuff you were cheating the other players you were cheating the game you should not be honored and so that's my that's my default position but some of the people who have commented on joe morgan's letter have brought up an interesting point that i hadn't really given a lot of thought to and i gotta say it has made me at least soften somewhat at least my hard and fast position and that is they point out that a number of players in joe morgan's era were taking amphetamines before every game absolutely and they got in And they said even, they go back, even there's reports that once upon a time, Babe Ruth injected himself with serum from bull's testicles, thinking that that was supposed to give him strength. So that was the performance enhancing supplement of the day. Of
4: that day, absolutely. And not to interrupt there, and and I've said this to many people who will, you know, we want to get into discussions and, you know, debates about this subject. I mean, I'm going to go back not even as far as Babe Ruth. What about guys like Mickey Mantle? And, you know, when the games started to increase, when it went from, say, you know, 100 games to 140 games, and, you know, road trips and cross-country flights became a reality of playing Major League Baseball, I mean, there were these little blue pills where guys were taking caffeine pills to try and stay up. I mean, everyone at their time was taking something. But Now, mind you, none of the things that were being taken at these times were illegal or to the game. Were they, for many of them, and I don't think, you know, even players like Barry Bonds, and I'll go back to the 80s now, the 70s and 80s, I don't think these players were thinking, oh, I'm doing something illegal. I think they figured it was like a supplement or, you know, like how many of us go to the vitamin store and grab whatever pills to, you know, for whatever reason, that this is what these players were thinking. I do not believe that they thought at the time what they were doing was cheating.
1: Maybe. I I think that's broad. I think there are players when you look at when they started taking it. I mean, some of the stories, the story of Barry Bonds is a story that he was angered by the attention being given to Mark McGuire and the guys who were hitting home runs. He's stealing bases. He's doing this, doing that. And he decided that he was going to bulk up to be able to do that. that the story...
4: That is, and I, I, not, again, sorry to cut you no. off, but that is so hypothetical. That is the opinion of someone else. I mean, if someone can prove to me that Barry Bonds ever said, well, look at Mark McGuire and look at Sosa, I'm going to do... Like, that is such a hypothesis that I, I can't validate that. Well, we I,
1: have we have Alex Rodriguez who, in an interview, I think it was, was 60 Minutes, said right? when he signed his big contract with Texas, that first huge deal, the first $225 million, he goes, the pressure." Suddenly on me, I felt I had to do something, and that's when he started taking that stuff. So there are sure. there are examples where you can either by their voice, by their words, or by the timing of it, where you say, "All right, you know what? I, you know Roger Clemens when his career was basically over with Boston, and when he got his assistant there, a Mac, um, um, whatever his name is, to, to do that was when he came to Toronto and had to revitalize his career. Did he? did he think he wasn't doing something that was giving him a little extra right. it, it it's a it's so difficult and and that's why i'm i've softened my position somewhat i still hate the idea of steroid cheats getting into the hall of fame but i'm almost at the point where i'm saying i don't know how you how you separate all these people how you separate the wheat from the chaff you almost just have to put something on their plaque that says they were they were, so they were caught as a steroid user or whatever else. Let them in and just identify them on their plaque as being someone in that category.
4: I don't know. Like, did we not cheer when Barry Bonds was going deep? Did we not cheer for Sammy Sosa and yep. Mark McGuire when they were going toe? for? T- they saved baseball.
1: They, they, this was a sport in trouble. Oh yeah, They're Maguire and Sosa for sure, and yeah. Ken Griffey. Now Ken yeah. Griffey was never uh, mentioned as being it, but yes, they saved baseball. Yeah. You're right.
4: They, 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 in a time where people were despised
1: with the, I mean, and really, I, I will say
4: this: I don't know if baseball ever recovered. It brought it, it brought back many fans with the with the so the back to back years of Sosa and Maguire. But with that first original big strike, and, and especially here in Canada, which possibly robbed the Montreal Expos of an opportunity at winning the world series they there are people that say I, I never went back to baseball i i can't i cheered at the time i thought it was fantastic uh everybody did and I, I, I just I, and and again i i continue to say what was being done was not either either baseball should be blamed for turning the blind eye which some say you know, like, let's, let's take, for example, Tony La Russa was the manager of the Oakland A's at the time where the bash, McGuire, um, Ken Seiko, Henderson, these players were, you know, knocking the ball out of the park night after night. Was, I mean, he's one of the, the guys that's held in the highest regards in the sport as a manager and a commentator now did he not know what was going on
1: with he had he, I, I'm sorry he had to know something was going on there were too many guys in that Oakland locker room with Canseco and Maguire it, it, it seems impossible to me that, that he may not have known exactly he may not have known the details he, 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 Bobby, if, you if you're the boss in an office, if, and, and we're not even talking in an office because he's in a room where guys are in shorts and underwear and stuff during the day. But if you were in the office and you suddenly started noticing that half your staff was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, bigger, and the balls they were hitting are going further and further, you're gonna have, you have to have at least some questions of what is going on.
4: So in that case, I can't blame the individuals for doing what was one, not illegal, and two, what they thought were doing to enhance their
1: careers. Yeah, yeah,
4: no, right? that's, you know, because they clearly uh, did. Because baseball had to know. Or should have you know, been more for, you know, forward in saying, well, we believe this steroid or this drug or whatever the case is or this enhancement should, should not be allowed or should be banned from the sport if they were serious about it. So I cannot blame the individuals for doing what was in, what, in some ways chic at the time, especially for some of the higher end players. I mean, to take these sort of designer drugs or whatever
1: you mm-hmm. want to call it. Like, I can't blame the individual. Well, and you raise one other thing. What about someone like Tony La Russa? Right, and, and if he didn't know, in my mind, he must have been willfully blind. He's a very smart man. There is nothing that he misses on the baseball diamond. He is on top of everything with one his team. One of
4: the team. most revered men in the sport
1: he either knew or he was willfully blind and should he be in the Hall of Fame if the guys that carried him to the Hall of Fame as a manager have largely been banished from the game or caught up in the steroid era and you've been found to be cheats
4: no I'll just call them hypocrites if they if they you know if they step up and and say what you know things that Joe Morgan said I would call them hypocrites but I would just take it to the next level and that this is baseball's problem not the individual's problem these players knew what was, uh, the, this league i believe it's this is a pure opinion my, I it is of my opinion that baseball knew exactly bud selig and all the hierarchy knew exactly what was going on at the time how could they be so ignorant and then even still when you know uh, drug stories and rumors and the controversy started to pick up why weren't
1: they quicker In changing the rules. Oh, I can tell you exactly. You already said the answer. Because Mark McGuire... Remember, this whole thing started. The whole steroid era scandal, anyway, in baseball started because a reporter looked in Mark McGuire's locker and saw a bottle of something called androstenedione and said, what's that? That's where this thing started. And at that moment, though, when baseball could have gone... We've got a problem. They said, hey, we're getting record ratings because of this home run chase. Hey, you, reporter, you're an idiot for asking such mean questions in the middle of such a happy time. And that reporter got tarred and feathered. And it turns out that he was the, the guy who actually did the right thing. Anyway, we only have a minute here. I, what would be your answer, then? What would Is it just let everybody in, or is it identify them on their plaque differently? or, or What none is of, the none answer? None of it,
4: Scott. None of it. None of it. Those were the players that we saw. Those were the best. And unfortunately, as you said, or fortunately, or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, those are the players that I saw that I thought were the best of the game. Those were the best players I've ever seen in my life. And Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are at the top of the list. And I refuse to say, put an asterisk in, in, the, in the record book, because you can't do that. That's exactly, that's baseball history. That's what was going on at the time. And you have to leave it at that.
1: If I find out... Ten years from now that you've done these interviews while on performance enhancing supplements, <laughs> I, will ca- I will cancel my vote for you for the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame someday down the road. Because if I believe that you are hopped up on caffeine or pizza or whatever other supplement you're using to be as good as you are, I am going to have to draw a line there in the sand and say, no, Bubba, you cannot be in. I got nothing more than a whole lot of Coke Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the time. Always so, appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure, Scott. Great conversation.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights
1: from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. It came out earlier this week. Uh, I love the Eagles. I'm a big Eagles fan. But it came out earlier this week that the Eagles are going back on tour. They lost their, well, their co-lead singer, I guess. Don Henley is one of them. But Glenn Fry's is the other. D- Glenn Fry died a year ago maybe died in that purge of everybody famous of 2016 when like everybody died and Glenn Fry was one of them but they're going back on tour and they now have his son in the band Deacon Fry and Vince Gill they've recruited to come in but i'm not really sure then that this is the eagles anymore what am i paying for if i buy tickets Lana Pavlovic, who you can hear her from seven till midnight on our sister station ninety five three Fresh FM is here. Thanks for coming in.
3: No problem.
1: So if I buy tickets yeah. to go see the Eagles and only three of the Eagles are actual Eagles, and the other two are Son of Eagle and <laughs> Fill in Eagle, am I
3: seeing the Eagles? Um well, okay, so how many members are left in the band?
1: Well, there's 3 members in the band still. And actually, one of the Eagles was a replacement from before. So he's so there's only two originals that are still right, here. Right,
3: right. Well, I yeah, I mean when you really essentially think about it, and I hate to say it this way, as bands get older, you know, sometimes, um, you know, original members don't stick around. As they move, uh, sadly, they pass away. So, I mean, if you're continuously going to want to keep playing the music and kind of, you know, make your fans happy, I'm sure diehard Eagle fans will totally go see them uh, play, especially if there's like a family member. They will,
1: but I just, I, I feel like I should, if I buy a ticket, I feel like I should get a discount it's not really... <laughs> so
3: you're not getting like the I'm not getting...
1: 100%. I'm not getting the full Eagle experience.
3: Well, I mean, you know, okay, if we're going to go not so classic rock, let, let's look at Stone Temple Pilots, right? So, I, I mean, you know, Scott Wheland was not in the band for a very long time. I saw them when it was still with Scott Wheeland, but then, you know, enter uh, new members of the band. So, are they still Stone Temple Pilots? Well, to most fans, they go, no, because the original Scott Wheland. So, do you continue? Will you continue to go see them? I don't know. That's That's up to the, you know, ticket beholder.
1: See, I figure older. that the band, you can count the band as original it, it, the band that is in place when they hit big right. to me is so if you've had a whole bunch of changes early in your start when you're banging around in the bars and everything and no one's ever heard of you mm-hmm. but when you get that album when you go number 1 whatever else that to me is the band. And right. I'm looking to, and I wrote down a list today because I was thinking about this because there's so many journey Went and got when Steve Perry left, and they now have that he's Filipino so guy who he's is amazing. He's too. fantastic. But
3: Steve Perry's like the ultimate.
1: And I'm looking, going, okay. So even though, and I can't remember his name now, Pineda or uh, uh, anyway, he's he's the tremendous singer, the guy who's the replacement that they found as a cover singer in the Philippines. It's yeah, he was like a story. karaoke artist. Yeah. He's amazing. He sounds like Steve Perry. But am I seeing Journey if he if Steve Perry is not? Like, what am I What am I more seeing Journey when I go see Steve Perry in concert singing Journey songs or when I see Journey without Steve Perry with the other guy?
3: Well, think of it this way. Guns N' Roses, to me, is the full band. Do I want to see Axl Rose with fake Guns N' Roses? And I, I hate to say it that way because there's probably, like, true Guns N' Roses fans. And I was the biggest Axl Rose fan back in the day, but I want to see... The original band are so,
1: they this, are they Guns N' Roses if Slash is not playing guitar?
3: Uh, see, Slash is, Slash is Slash to me. Like you can't have Guns N' Roses without Slash, without Duff, without Matt. Like, and there's also original members too. But yeah, now that they're going on tour, like that, I would want to see. But Axl Rose by himself—that's just my opinion you know, with the dude that has the KFC hat on, you know, I, I just, it's just not.
1: Well, Van Halen kind of was one of the first ones that did this because they kept switching between David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. and right. you never. But it almost got weird that they were both Van Halen. But anyway, yeah. uh, Chicago, they've had four, I mean, Ted Michaels, if I say the name Chicago, I expect Ted Michaels to appear mysteriously like a mist from the walls here. <laughs> World's biggest Chicago fan. Uh, they've had, I don't know, 72 lead singers and people. Sticks. Mm-hmm. Has gone through it. The cars. The Who. The Who's only got two guys left, and they keep going out there. I know. Uh, Guns and Roses, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Judas Priest, Boston, Queen. Queen now has Adam Lambert mm-hmm. from, from,
3: and he's amazing too. But it's just not Freddie Mercury.
1: So if I go to see Queen.
3: No. That's a, yeah. See, there's
1: a perfect one, because the other day we were doing something, <laughs> last night on our, on our list, we did a, a countdown of who are the artists that you wish could come back from the dead to give you one more song. <gasps> and number one on the list was Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Well, how in the world then, if I go to see Queen and it's not Freddie Mercury, how can I say I'm seeing Queen?
3: Because you are seeing technically the original members, but it's just Freddie Mercury is like the one and only...
1: Uh, in Excess, and that was a sad ending oh to a band. Um, and ACDC now, Malcolm Young just recently died, and his nephew, I think, or his son, Stevie Young, has been playing. But again, I'm looking at this, and, and for a while, G- Axl Rose was singing with ACDC, and we yeah. were cats and dogs were living together. Weird. It was all It got all
3: weird. <clears throat> a little bit incestuous, can I say that?
1: Well, yeah, but it, it, <laughs> I just... I, Again, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, you know what? I would, I would. The Eagles are coming to Toronto. I'm hoping, uh, you know, I haven't told him yet, but I'm really hoping that Scott Warren down at First Ontario Center is going to figure out a way to get the Eagles <laughs> to Hamilton. And if they come to Hamilton because of proximity, I might say, okay, even though they're not really the Eagles, I th- I might go. But yeah, I don't know. I just I just don't know where you, when you can actually say that I'm seeing that particular band. And you know, the funny thing about this is all the groups we're talking about, and you mentioned it because they get older, they're all classic rock bands. Yep. Today, and I'm not dumping on today's music, that's not what I'm saying, but it's changed. You don't, you have a lead singer in a lot of these and then you have no-name musicians or DJs or whatever. They can change. Are you even going to notice with a lot of the groups Mm -hmm, today mm -hmm. if their background, as long as you've got the singer, that's the only person that matters. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I go to see... Who? If I go to see whoever and it's not him singing but it's him that I bought a ticket for I know I'm not seeing the real guy
3: well Queens of the Stone Age is another particular band where you know you have the lead singer and you have a couple of the same guys but they've also had like 15 members of the band all very talented and they all have their side projects and that's kind of what the music industry is now right everyone creates a band and then they go all, all make their super groups and stuff and then they come back together and have their projects so you know
1: well if I go see um, just the name popped up I'm trying to think who to mention if I go see Jennifer Lopez yeah alright you're gonna go see Jlo you're only, and I'm not going to see j by the way, <laughs> but, but if I go to see her, I'm only going to see her. I yeah. don't care about her background dancers. I don't care about her background singers. So as long as she's on the stage, mm-hmm. Beyonce, another one I'm not going to see, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, they're just names that are popping into my head at this point. Um, I don't know. I I just I'm trying to figure out when a band ceases to be that band. That's the tricky part for me because the Eagles to me were five uniquely and there's a lot of like this five uniquely individual guys that yeah you can have someone come in and play their part, but is it really then the, that band or should it be Eagles asterisk or Eagles esque?
3: Or Eagles tonight, the roles of will be played by. Yeah,
1: the understudies are in. It's like going to a Broadway play. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the Eaglets. You know, something like that. You go. You run. All right. Lana has to go back on the air. (laughs) Actually, if you flip, don't do it. If you flip to 95.3 right now, there's just silence because she's been in here too long. That's not true. But she's got about 30 seconds before the entire station shuts down. What do you think? Let me throw it to you. What do you think is the answer to this question? Is a band... Still a band as long as there's what one person who is still from the original group is that does that count as Being that band Ben. What do you think? What would if you were an Eagles fan? I don't know if you're an Eagles fan, but would you look at a band that had three out of the five only that were people that are considered originals or considered close enough to it Would that still be the band would that still be the Eagles?
0: Not really, because the Eagles are the Eagles; they are the original members. That's what made the band happen. and the worst the, the most troubling part most not troubling. I don't want to make it sound like
1: we're like ruining or creating world problems here. but Glenn Fry was the lead singer of that band, or one of them. He was the front man for that band. That is an especially to me difficult thing to say. You've still got the Eagles when. Like, if it was their rhythm guitarist, although with ACDC he was a key part of it, but if it's the bass player and he doesn't sing, he just stands in the shadows and who cares? Oh, I mean, really, who? if it's U2 and it's, what's his name, the bass player, yeah, you know what, they can get by. But if Bono's gone, is, is U2 U2 if suddenly Bono is not singing for them or if The Edge is not playing guitar? I don't think so. I don't think so. Frank says, what if the replacement band is better than the original? In that case, definitely, yes, I would go see them. Interesting. There are cases where the people they get to replace the departed band member is musically stronger because now they're they're not a bunch of kids that grew up together and learned their... They can go out and, if you're a successful band, you can go and choose whoever you want. You can find a great musician. So there are cases, and the Eagles are one of them, where their bass player was musically better than the original because they could go and find the best guy
0: possible. But but I don't know that that makes it the band. See, that's actually another interesting thing, is the fact that the original Eagles was only four people which means that technically there's only one person left from the original Eagles. And it just it's So again, know. it's the
1: Eagle. They should be called the Eagle. <laughs> the now. one the lone eagle. The lone eagle. I, I again, I I don't Now I went and looked today because I wanted to see how much tickets were going to be. They were not listed. The ticket prices were not posted yet for the Toronto show. I will bet a substantial amount that these will not be inexpensive tickets. You're going to pay a good price. And I don't mean good as in, hey, I got a great deal. No, you're going to pay a lot of money to go see the Eagles in Toronto. It's the Air Canada Centre. It's a small venue. There's only one show. They're doing very few shows across North America. You are going to pay big dough and I'm thinking if it's not the Eagles, if it's not the original Eagles, they should be, rather than doing that, they should, and maybe they will. Maybe I'm going to stand corrected, but they should be hacking back the price a bit from what they charged last time. Hey, we're going to charge you three fifths of what was last time because there's only three fifths of us left. Does anyone expect that to happen? I do not. I do not. The Who should charge half because there's only half the original guys left. They're not. They' going as, they're making as much money as they can while they can.
0: What about a cover band? Because when you have something like this where you have the majority of the performing group, not original members, but they're performing the same music, in a way, it's kind of like an official cover band. Well, yeah,
1: and especially when, look, again, look at Journey. That, the guy's name is I think it's Arnel Pineda. Is that his name, I believe. Um, he was a cover singer. He was a karaoke, not a karaoke, although it's almost like it, but he was the leader of a Journey cover band. It's a fantastic story. No one's taking it away. He was a guy doing bar gigs in the Philippines and Steve Perry has left the band and the Journey guys are thinking, oh, are we done? Are we done? And they go online. And the story is that like late one night, two in the morning or something, one of the members of Journey is on YouTube and he comes upon this guy. And if you've ever heard. Pineda's voice, Arnel Pineda, he sounds exactly like Steve Perry. Exactly like Steve Perry. To the point where the guy in the band who was doing this YouTube searching is thinking is this even real or is he lip syncing Steve Perry? And so they, the guy didn't speak a word of English the lead singer. They fly him over to the States just to hear if that's his real voice or if he's just lip-syncing Steve Perry, and when he could do it, they hired him. But again, it's a cover band. The lead the Judas Priest, the lead singer now, is the guy who was in the in a Judas Priest cover band, and all of a sudden you get a phone call, and it's like, hey, you know those uh, bars with 50 people you're in wearing that sweaty leather? How would you like to do some stadium gigs with the actual band? But to me, that diminishes the price even more now. Because now... If you're going to get the lead singer of a cover band as a po- if I at least go and get someone else I'm going to get their style so eh, whatever. Here I'm getting a low rent replica of the thing that I don't have anymore. It should cost me less. I don't pay the same to go see a cover band. I shouldn't have to pay a cover band uh, a full band price
0: for a cover band perform cover band performance. Also, sounds like and is are two very, very different things. When you get this replacement group, it's not them. It sounds like them, but it's not them.
1: Yeah, I would... um,
0: KG just writes
1: in, if I bought tickets to Taylor Swift and Taylor couldn't make it and she was replaced with someone else, I'd want my money back. Well, I would agree. But that's what I was sort of saying to Lana, that it seems... Most, anyway, it seems to me, most of the more current artists, we're talking about in this case, the ones we mentioned were all classic rock acts, most of the more current bands, it's less a band than it is an artist. So you couldn't really replace Justin Timberlake with a Justin Timberlake lookalike or something. and make. If Britney Spears couldn't come on stage, you can't find someone who looks like her and lips... Well, you probably could.
0: (laughs) Well, that's actually the other thing that's interesting is... You go to a live event because you want to have the experience, like the stage performance and the stage presence of a lot of these big artists is a big trademark of them. If I see a Britney Spears lookalike, well, they look like them, but it's not the same thing. They're not going to act like Britney, just like Britney would. Well, and there's one other thing before we go to break, which
1: let's go uh, to one other thing. If I go to see the original artist, but they lip-sync, is that, is that better? Uh, see, to me, that's even worse than getting the backup artist the replacement who's singing. If I go to see, and you know, we've heard of all different artists who have lip-synced in the past, but if I go to see the Eagles and the song that is supposed to be sung by Glenn Frey, and it's now his kid, and his kid gets up there and just lip-syncs his dad's singing... That's even worse. I want a refund at that point. Or if I go to see someone else and they lip sync their own music, I want a refund. But anyway, interesting thought. I um I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how many members of a band can actually be gone before you have to no longer call yourself that band. I know there are some bands out there that are that have only the one person usually it's the lead singer and they call themselves that still there have been bands where there are two of the same band because you've got part of the band went one way part of the band went the other they're both singing the songs and they're each calling themselves that band name but you don't really know it's like the Harlem Globetrotters you know there's two Harlem Globetrotters teams now no Did you know that I there's didn't two know that. yep and they that way they can cover more territory so you're not really sure which globetrotters team when they come you're going to see does it make it... I think it makes it different. I think it does. But let me know. Radley at 900CHML.com. Would you pay... Would you pay top dollar to go see a band that was only part of the band that it originally was that had made it famous? Would you pay big money to go do that? Radley, R-A-D-L-E-Y. Radley at 900 chml.com.
0: The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 AM 900 CHML